0: Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real life experiences and the tools they develop to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor. And with us today is my dear friend, Carrie
1: Malmberg. Carrie, how are you? I'm good. Good. Oh, Michelle, can I tell you how long I have wanted to have this conversation with Carrie oh. since the very first day you approached me about the idea of doing a podcast oh, wow. on. Resilience and these stories. And remember, you and I brainstormed who could mm-hmm. we invite? Who do we know? Who could we ask? Top of my list has been my dear friend Carrie, her husband Jed, and the experience they had several years ago um, in delivering their first son as a stillborn baby boy. And how Carrie now is just, I'll get emotional even thinking about you. Carrie, you are a beautiful soul, and your husband is just as wonderful. And your, your three living children are just remarkable young human beings. And I am so grateful that you would take time out of your busy day to reflect back on not just what happened many, many years ago, but how you carry that with you and what a difference it's made in your life, which now makes a difference in my life and everyone else whose lives you've touched. So in advance, I will get the mm-hmm. tissues ready and say thank you, my dear sweet <laughs> Carrie, <laughs> for joining us today. We'll start it a little more lighthearted. Can you... Tell us about you. Tell us about Jed. Tell us about how you met. Tell us how you grew up and came to be together. Give us a little backstory.
2: I wish he could be here to do this with me because he's way better with words. But we met in Bear Lake. I'm from Paris, Idaho, in Bear Lake, and his family has a cabin up there. And he would come up on the weekends, and him and I would see each other, and our friends would hang out, and. He served a a mission for the church, and I went away to California to be a nanny. We just started writing letters and kind of got married really quick when he got back. We got married in Bountiful in the LDS Temple. We loved being newlyweds and just exploring, and he's very adventurous, and so he always tried to get me to go do outdoorsy stuff with him, and it took me a few years to get on board with that, but... Now, I love to explore outdoors with our family and to trail run. And I love to just intentionally try to live my life and celebrate anything and everything <laughs> with our family and friends. We waited a couple years to have kids and we were excited to have a baby. We got pregnant in about six months and on everything and took all the precautions that most first moms do to deliver a healthy baby my whole pregnancy with Jackson was ideal we were so excited to be parents and Jed came to every doctor's appointment with me and we were even more excited that he was a boy that he could go do all the outdoorsy things with his dad and he could teach him how to snowmobile and hunt and do all the things that he loves to do. And um, I had my my baby showers and we were getting really excited and anticipating his arrival in July. He was due um, the 21st of July. And um, at about 38 weeks, we went to a doctor's appointment and everything looked great. He was happy or he was healthy. He wasn't happy. He was healthy. And he was seven pounds, six ounces at that appointment. And we were headed out of town for the 4th of July weekend. And we went and my doctor gave me the okay and said, everything looked good. Go away for the weekend. And um, we always go to Bear Lake to be with our family at Judd's family's cabin. And so I cleaned our house, and I kind of was in that nesting stage. I was 38 weeks pregnant, and we went to the fireworks in Logan on our way down to Bear Lake. It was a family tradition that we had, and Jackson in my belly was moving around and kicking and loving it. They were loud, and looking back, that was probably the last time I felt him move. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, we ended up. And getting up to the cabin, and the next day was a parade in Paris, Idaho. If you've ever been to a small-town parade, it's, you can't miss it. <laughs> anyway, so we we got up, and I could just feel – I wasn't feeling well. I um, was contracting a little bit, but I was a first-time mom, so I didn't really know how I should be feeling. I didn't think I was in labor. I just felt awful. Um we went to the parade and i met all my high school friends there <laughs> at the small town parade and they all commented that i should have a baby any day and we were just so excited and just trying to get through those last few days up until he was here and it was so hot but then um we went over to the cabin and everybody goes out boating and to the beach and I just decided to take a nap and and I just had this uneasy feeling that whole weekend that something wasn't right and I would voice it to my mother-in-law and sisters-in-law and my mom and they would just reassure me that he was big and that I was getting ready to have him and that was normal and try to put my brain at ease (laughs) and um Just to be sure, this Sunday morning we decided to go to the hospital in Bear Lake just to have me checked because I hadn't felt him move for a little bit. And so we drove into Montpelier and they put an ultrasound paddle on my belly and picked up a heartbeat. And so that reassured me that everything was fine and that I could go back to celebrating the 4th of July with our families so we did. We went back to the cabin and I just ended up laying around not doing a lot of activity but just hanging out and Can I stop Monday. you
0: Can I stop yeah. you there? So when they found a heartbeat, did they just do an ultrasound? They found a heartbeat and they're like, Yep, we've got a heartbeat or did they yep. monitor you they for a little bit of time, like a low stress test?
2: No. And I wish that they would have, but I also Looking back, I'm glad I made it back to Ogden to deliver him. And so in Bear Lake, they just put this paddle on my belly and found his heartbeat and made me feel kind of dumb (laughs) that I would question everything. Well, it's interesting
1: because I think any woman that's ever been expecting a child has had moments like that where you wonder, is it okay and it's not okay? Or we've been the other woman on the side of the conversation saying, oh, honey, it's fine. That's normal. It's easy to say a lot of symptoms in pregnancy are normal. It's normal normal. to not feel well. It's normal to feel lots of energy. It's normal to feel no energy. What is normal? So you're in Bear Lake. You go to the Montpelier Hospital. They give you the green light. Honey, it's okay. You're feeling sheepish. Okay, it's fine. And yet yet still maybe that nagging. So it's 4th of July weekend. You're still in Bear Lake walk us from there at some point you leave Bear lake and go to ogden finish finish the weekend for us
2: we decided to come back early i can't remember what day of the week everything fell i think the fourth was on a monday that year yeah it was because he was born on a tuesday so we came back early we normally would stay through the day but we decided to come home and on my way home from Bear lake my contractions picked up to like every five minutes so i called my doctor and he said you're a first time mom and it's going to be a while. Why don't you enjoy those fireworks with your family and then come up and get checked? And so that's what we did. I asked for a blessing, which I normally wouldn't have, but I was just still feeling not right. (laughs) I think in my heart of hearts, I knew something was not right, but everyone assured me that it was fine. And so I talked myself out of I don't know, those emotions and those feelings of, I don't know what I'm doing, this is my first baby. And um, anyway, we we watched the fireworks. I had a priesthood blessing. It was beautiful. I still remember a lot of the vivid details of this whole weekend, even 16 years later. <laughs> and I feel like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, the tears still come, the grief is still so heavy, but we get back to Ogden, and we go up after the fireworks. I had my bag packed. His, I think I said his nursery was ready. I decorated it. And, were you excited um, at
1: this point, thinking you're in labor, or were you still more overwhelmed with the nervous, unsure feeling? I'm I just was curious. Had, had the excitement yeah, I was, come in, or it wasn't really there?
2: It wasn't. I was excited to meet my baby, and so I think that probably trumped the feelings of uneasiness sure and so it was just very get up to the hospital and dad was so good he was there every step of the way and he just kept reassuring me too like oh i i thought i felt him move and i'm like yeah but i haven't and i you try all the things like drink the juice and lay down on your side and i'm just like i would expect something by now it had been about 24 hours um, since I thought I felt him. Wow. And in the hustle and bustle of just, I guess, the fireworks, and it felt like less of a time period. Sure. There's a lot so, going on. Like, that's, a, that's a busy a weekend. You're with on. extended
1: family. You're with lots of experienced moms who tell you, honey, this is okay. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can see where it would kind of get lost in that time warp.
2: And during that time, that's when we went to the hospital too. So I felt like okay, I probably didn't feel a move for a little bit, but then I was reassured at the hospital that they found a heartbeat. And then, like, 12 hours later, we were in the car headed to the hospital in Ogden at the K D And I remember going into the ER because it was late. It was after the fireworks had already gone off on the 4th of July that night. And we went... um, straight into the emergency room and they willed us up and the nurse took us back into the room where they start monitoring you and um, she immediately I knew something was wrong immediately just because of the way that she left um, the room had yep she left the room and she couldn't tell me anything, Right. but I knew. And I remember looking at, they called for my doctor to come. And I remember looking at my husband, Judge, and thinking like, something's not right. And he's like, oh, no, it'll be fine. Because she moved the paddle around and couldn't see anything that you would normally see in an ultrasound. And I'm like, no, 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 something's not right. And he... um He said, just wait for the doctor. I'm sure he can find a heartbeat. Maybe this girl's new or something. I'm like, yeah, but I know. You know what to expect when you see an ultrasound after nine months. (laughs) And so I just tried to hold on to every little bit of hope in those 15 minutes till my doctor got there. But he, he, um, I still remember his words. (laughs) Um, He said, I'm sorry, the little tyke didn't make it. And, um, I remember just feeling angry at first and like, no, you must be wrong. This is a bad dream. I, all this, I mean, it's a silly thought later, but I remember thinking like, this is all in vain. All these last nine months, I didn't get the outcome that I wanted. I felt very attached to him and would talk to him and was so excited for him to be here and you always hope and dream the second you know you're having a baby i feel like you start planning their future and we had done that as a family absolutely and so they um decided to break my water and deliver and i remember making those first phone calls to our parents Um, My parents were in Bear Lake awaiting. They knew we were headed to the hospital, obviously, and awaiting any news that they could come be with us. And um, when we called them, we didn't even know how to get the words out, and they knew something was wrong, and we knew that they were on their way. A lot of it's still a blur. I developed toxemia in the last few hours of my pregnancy, so I was on a lot of crazy drugs like magnesium that were having weird side effects. And so I felt kind of out of it, but he was delivered at five thirty on July 5th. So the next morning and he was seven pounds, eight ounces. And so he was a big, he was a big healthy baby for 38 weeks. And um, I remember, I remember just, Realizing we had such a short time with his body and um, the nurses were so good to to tell us to spend time with them. And this was way before all the programs that they have now of now I lay me down to sleep where photographers yeah. come and take photos and stuff. This was long before that time. And so I was grateful that our family took a few photos and the nurse cut off some of his hair for us and and gave us the diapers that they put him in. And we just studied his hands and his lips and his his eyes. I looked at his eyelids to see that his eyes were blue and just trying to, like, never forget, I guess, um, those little details of this baby we could only his body we only could hold for i think we got him for four and a half hours Mm -hmm. my husband gave him a blessing and and a name and our families were able to come and most of them stayed the whole night with us and
1: hey carrie (sighs) we're gonna take a break for a second and let everybody catch their breath this is i mean i this is beautiful thank you for sharing this um In my mind, I'm seeing every photo that you've posted in the past. I can see you as a little baby. Carrie, I mean, you look like you're 13. What were you, like 23? I don't know how that's possible because you look like you were like five. But you are so young, and Jed looks so young, and I can see you staring at little Jackson. I can see the grandparents in the hospital room, and everyone is smiling for the picture, and yet you can see the heartache. So let's take a quick minute and then we'll come back and, and pick it up from there. All right, Carrie, we're going to jump into that morning. It's July 5th. You've just learned that you're First baby son, Jackson, was stillborn. Your parents, your husband's parents are in the room with you. You've got family. You said you got about four or five hours with your baby boy's body before the hospital needed to take him. Can you walk us through those first hours and those first couple of days and what happened next?
2: I feel like those first few days when the shock is so real and and raw and... I call it, like, where your world stops, time stops. Everybody should quit living their lives because yours has definitely stopped. I remember driving home from the hospital without him and going into his nursery and not knowing how we would ever get past this, not knowing how I could ever even put it away or even look at it, All, all of his clothes thank you notes I still needed to write from his baby shower so I don't know what do you do with the gifts? Do you return them do you you know (laughs) you don't know how to really navigate that I remember having to make some tough decisions I was 22 years old and we didn't know they asked where we would bury our baby and we didn't know where we would end up and we decided on Bear Lake because we had family there and I have lots of family buried there and Jed's family has a cabin that we frequently visit and so we were able to visit him a lot still and I um, remember driving home from the hospital seeing the bustle of cars and just feeling like an out-of-body experience and driving into our driveway and our friends were mowing the lawn at our house and people started showing up and we weren't alone. And in fact, a a dear friend who was actually my seminary teacher drove the two-hour drive from Bear Lake to Ogden to come visit us in the hospital, and she had lost a 16-year-old daughter. And I remember trying to compare our grief, like, oh, I can't imagine all the memories you had with your daughter. And And she assured me that our grief was the same, and loss is loss, and we shouldn't compare. And I've always held on to that, because what I was feeling, she knew so well. And I think that there's a lot to learn from those people that show up in the early hours of grief. Some people don't know what to say. Some people don't know what gifts to bring, even though you feel like you should bring something. But I will never forget the people that showed up on my darkest hour. And I i feel like I try to make something out of the heartache and grief that we've gone through and not let it be in vain by trying to do that for others. I remember my mom, all these people would bring dinner. We had so much food, we couldn't even eat it. But so they would bring dinner or they would send money and I knew they didn't have the money to send, but I remember saying out loud to her, Mom, how will I ever, like, repay these people or say thank you enough? And she says, you can't. You just pay it forward. And I feel like these vivid memories for me are something that I've tried to do since I lost my baby boy. He completely changed me as a person. I feel like... These lessons that are so tender to my heart, are what I try to do and how I try to honor him now is paying all the service that has been rendered to us forward and to show up for people
0: yeah it's it's such a blessing when other people show up when you're in that moment of grief, and Jenny certainly has had tons of people show up her life I have in mine. And you can't you can't repay it. You can't repay it back, but you you can take those lessons and help others and pay it forward by showing up.
1: I think the value of showing up, I mean so many times we've heard you say that, Carrie, and, and Michelle, you just use the same phrase to show up. Um this is where I'll get so emotional, Carrie, because you've shown up for me a thousand times. Your little baby Jackson has Motivated in you, even a decade and a half later, a compassion that is unparalleled in really in anybody else I know. And this is the first time I've personally heard you walk through the details of this story. Um, I knew about Jackson. I've kind of heard the overall. I've seen the photos and the posts. You've celebrated his birthday and his passing as as years go by. But to hear the way time stands still. 16 years later, and it's like we're all in the hospital room with you right now, and it just happened, and I can picture you as you're coming home, and all the other cars, it feels like the world's continued moving, and that feels so rude, because your world just stopped, and you don't want the world to keep moving, and people to keep going to work, and and driving about their day-to-day as if nothing happened, because your life is so different. Can you tell us, Carrie, what not just those first few days in the funeral, what does that next year or two of life look like? What does it look like in your marriage if you're willing to share? I mean, this is a loss for you and Jed. You're both still so young, so new in life, so hopeful and optimistic and yet so uncertain about what might be next. Can you take us through the next couple of years of the, the journey that you and Jed took after losing Jackson?
2: Yeah, we had a lot of people tell dead and I that the statistics for losing a child and ending in divorce were high and it was a decision I mean we talked about um we each grieved differently and it was like a decision that we made in the very beginning like we're in this for the long haul I mean it was just like we recommitted to letting each other process and grieve how we needed to, and it was really dark and heavy the first few years, even the first year. A couple strong impressions I received shortly after his death was, it wasn't about me. Him coming to earth and gaining a body wasn't about me. It was about him, and I was so deep in that grief that even years later, I had to I asked my family and friends, like, how could you even stand to be around me? (laughs) But what helped was a shift in my mindset, I guess, that I wouldn't let the heartache and everything that we'd been through and the physical pain of losing him be in vain. I wanted to honor him and make something of his life and help remember him. And it was my job as his mom going forward so that people didn't forget him because as a baby, and not having memories with him or not knowing him. Even my own kids, my living children that came after him know him and know of him, and my family talks about him, and we celebrate him, and the first couple of years, it was probably a little much. (laughs) I decorated my Christmas tree (laughs) about him, and every holiday, we had to go visit his grave and decorate it, and I feel like our families were really great to support us in doing that, even in the dark time. And now, 16 years later, what I didn't mention was I was pregnant with two of my sister-in-laws. We were just a month apart from each other, so he has two cousins the same exact age as him. And as they were born and have grown up, I've been able to watch them and And there's just been this close bond into being able to see the stages of life that he would have been in. Or I have his cousin blow out his birthday cake candle so I can physically see at age 16 this massive boy (laughs) that would be taller than me blow out a birthday cake candle. (laughs) But um, I just think... Showing up for others on the days that are the darkest for them, like I mentioned, has helped us really look outside of our own grief and our own selves. And like I said, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about how can we help and pay it forward. And it was about Jackson and his mission and what he was supposed to accomplish. I feel like it changed not only Jed and I, and our marriage, it gave our future family and our ourselves at that foundation that we all had a purpose and something to work towards being with Jackson again. But our whole extended family, I feel like it's changed them as well. And I know it's been harder on others than some. And the experiences that they've shared with me over the years where they have felt close to him helps me. I'm grateful that they'll share how they've been impacted by his life, even though they didn't know him. I feel like he's very much a part of our family and our life. And I bring him up and I talk about him. He's my fourth child, that I don't have to worry about <laughs> raising in this crazy world. And I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful. I think another thing that I have done since he's passed is just I take pictures um so Addie was born almost a year later so that's my daughter right under him so he would be 16 she's 15 and her coming into the world really shifted my focus of how I can really make memories with my kids and make time together count and I think I take way too many pictures and they think I take way too many pictures and and try to celebrate their birthdays and their, their life and intentionally make memories and photograph them. I feel like looking back on the pictures that we have of Jackson, which are so few, it's just taught me, like, I need to make sure that I am intentional about creating the memories and taking the photos. And so we have records and documentation of of our lives i have gone on to learn photography and i have hard drives and hard drives of way too many pictures but at least i have them i guess i don't know what you i love sorry i i
1: love this i love hearing you talk about how you've really just made a decision to not let this be just a loss to not let it be in vain to never let him be forgotten How beautiful that you and your actions as his mother have kept him alive, not only in your home, but with his cousins. And I know one of his cousins because she goes to church with me. And this past Sunday, she talked about him. And I thought, this is a little girl who never met him in life. She's younger. She would have been born after. And yet she knows she has a cousin, Jackson. And just very real, very matter of fact, how beautiful what your family has done, Carrie, what you have guided them to do in keeping him and his, not just his memory, but his person alive, that he is part of your family and he does still have a birthday. You can celebrate that brief time that you held his body and that faith you have that he's your child, not just while you're on earth, but that you'll be united as a family after death and able to experience time together again in a way that we can't really understand right now and and your personal beliefs there. I love the way that you have shown up for so many people including your own living children. Tell us a little bit what it was like to be pregnant with Addie and then your next two boys. Did you have a lot of apprehension and fear having lost that first baby? What was that like to bring living children, healthy children into the world and then how have you kind of adapted and grown your family over that last 15 years since Addie was born?
2: I. Definitely, definitely had anxiety <laughs> when I was pregnant with my other kids. Thankfully, my doctors were well aware of our situation and they let me come do stress tests and annual tests to check everything. One thing I didn't mention was when Jackson was born, my doctor offered to do an autopsy and we decided not to, but he said he. He walked through and my whole pregnancy was so healthy that he couldn't understand what was going on. And so that was our next option was to do an autopsy. And we decided not to. And um, I still feel good about that decision because it didn't change anything for me. But I'll always wonder, like, why he died. (laughs) So I was definitely nervous with my other kids because we didn't know why. He said he had his best guess and that he checked everything thoroughly and everything like my placenta and the cords and everything were perfectly healthy. And so we don't really know why he died. My faith carries me in that there was a bigger plan for him and for our family. And he was, his was serving from the other side, our family. And I knew, and I guess (laughs) I kind of made a deal with God, like you can, you can have Jackson, but you know what I can handle and you know, I need something after this hard trial. (laughs) And so I just was rest assured by the test that we did that she was healthy. And I kind of just had to give up my will and know that whatever will be, will be. And that was probably what got us through having more kids. Jake, he went into the NICU for nine days and so after him we decided to be done but because it was just so much stress and anxiety for those nine months that I was pregnant and I was probably a little psycho that's the one that we should give credit to
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I I I don't know that psycho was probably just adequately concerned yeah as the mother um (laughs) what, what was the issues that you had with your last
2: one he had pneumonia when he was delivered.
0: Oh, wow. Um,
2: yeah, he was, he ended up being okay, but it was really hard um, to see him hooked to all the tubes. And, oh, yeah, for and sure. for so long. And those and nine days have knowing. to feel like a hundred
0: years. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. So now you have Addie and then you have two boys. Mm-hmm. Remind me the ages. You said Addie's 15. How old are the two boys now? jace is 13 and jake's 10 and you have um, lots of adventures you are the snowmobiling hiking trail running adventurous (laughs) bear laking family of and you do take pictures of everything which i I think is beautiful you'll never have to rely (laughs) on your memory to have memories we're going to take one more break and then come back and have you kind of wrap up for us what is it you've learned and what does resilience mean to you we'll be right back All right, Carrie. this has been a beautiful interview, very emotional. It's taken us back in time to where it feels like we've all been right there with you. And yet now here you are 16 years later and you are vibrant, you are happy, you have a strong marriage, a strong family, you have three healthy children. Can you sum up maybe what it is you've learned or your takeaways from this last decade and a half journey and then teach us a little bit about what resilience looks like to you?
2: 16 years later, I feel like sometimes I welcome that grief or that feeling of pain because it isn't every day like it used to be. It makes me feel like it's more real and that we did go through it. I don't have it as frequently. I do have it and I do miss him. And I feel like the lessons and the takeaways are just kind of going back to what I've already said is just show up and, document everything and take pictures and celebrate our lives and the people that we love because the relationships that we have do matter and it's what we've learned through our trials that can help other people because some trials you learn or some things like empathy and, and grieving you learn no other way than going through it yourself and I just feel like I've had that experience and the opportunity to know how to relate to people who have lost loved ones. And the best that I can do is just to be there for them, not with any words or any gifts, really, just to know that on their worst day that they weren't alone. I think resilience is something that we always continue to strive to work on, even 16 years later not giving in to the pain, but just moving forward. And we just keep going, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we any mm-hmm. of us have a choice. <laughs> now, that's,
0: that's You know, so many people will hear your story and they'll, they'll say, oh, she's so strong and that was so difficult. And that's true. But it's also that we don't have a choice. So sometimes that can be a double-edged sword. It's You can appreciate people seeing your strength and at the same time, you also know that you just don't have a choice. You have to find the strength.
2: I was just going to say, I think the alternative is that it is in vain. Like we go through these trials and if we learn nothing from it to help others, then what was the point of that? (laughs) Like, what was the point of learning and struggling through all that heartache if we can't help someone else through their worst times? Because honestly, we could just, I guess, go to bed and, succumb to the pain, but I don't want to live like that. (laughs) I choose not to live like that.
0: I think that some people might hear you crying and you can, we can feel the intensity as if you're reliving it again. And the reality is, is that grief never really leaves us. No, we revisit it. And, And like you say, we do move forward and we, we learn things and it makes us better people if we choose to learn those lessons. But that doesn't mean that it's easy or that on some days we don't feel deeply.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to say is we don't necessarily choose the circumstance. Like you said, we have no choice. I guess I'm going to face this because it's right in front of my face, but we can choose to look for meaning. We can choose to find ways to maybe pay it forward. We can We can choose to control what we can control, which is usually not a lot, Mm -hmm. but it is maybe that Mm -hmm. outlook. But I love what you also said, Carrie, and it goes right along with what Michelle just said, that the grief doesn't ever really leave us. And Carrie, you said something really deep that you now welcome those feelings when they come. They don't come as often. Mm -hmm. They're not as all consuming. They don't hijack your life the same way they did when they're brand new. And yet they're a tender reminder that you really did go through that, Mm -hmm. that you really did lose a son, that, that, that is real. And you don't have to be afraid of that emotion and feeling that emotion doesn't mean you haven't gotten over it and you haven't moved on. That emotion means it's still a part of you. And to let yourself feel that I think is a huge piece of resilience to accept the fact that you can't control the exact circumstance to make choices, to find meaning and purpose and service opportunities and then to let yourself be okay with feeling those waves of grief. I think that is a powerful, powerful truth that too many people try to sweep under the rug, that crying means I'm weak, that feeling it means I'm something's wrong with me, I should be over this by now. When in reality, how precious and tender that mother's love still is. Of course it wouldn't fade after 16 years. It wouldn't fade after 60. And yet you're still able to find purpose and energy each day, to go about your day, to raise your other children, to be you know helpful in your community. And yet that grief is still a part of you. And it's not a weight, but an actual beautiful strength. And it's an energy that gives you capacity to help other people. And I think that's a choice yeah. to choose to see grief differently, to not see grief as this baggage all of the time, this big, mm-hmm. heavy, your weight, but rather to say, I'm grieving because I love and I'm human and I yeah, feel absolutely. And now I'm more empathetic. I'm more compassionate. I'm more able to help someone else. Which I gives know that purpose. for me,
0: I feel that grief is love. Yeah. And so that's, I've certainly had areas of grief in my life before losing John. But after losing John, I had this profound understanding that this grief, this pain, it's also my love. Yeah. And it's the only thing fully. I have left. And would you ever want to get over that or to no. be done with that or to
1: push that away? You of welcome not. it.
0: Yeah, you do. You, I love that. You do welcome it. And I, I love what you had to share. So many great lessons. I love that you have a growth mindset and that your biggest lessons were to show up, to document and to celebrate. Yeah. I, I love all of those so concepts powerful. and basically being present so, for others. And there is no greater gift. I, I had a lot of people that wanted to mourn, but they wanted to tell me how to do it or they wanted to tell me how I was supposed to be doing it or when it needed to be over or that I was moving on too soon or, you know, it was filled with a lot of advice and a lot of judgment. But I love that one of the things you said was that you found empathy in your grieving and that you learned how to be present for others. And that resilience is something you're still working on and building absolutely, and moving forward. And I think that is absolutely so what the show is absolutely all about. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing with us. Carrie,
1: today. I just love you more than words can I say. Love you. I love your baby boy because his loss and your loss of him has blessed my life because you have been such a compassionate friend. I did not know you Before Brent died. I did not know you when Brent died. I've only come to know you because you showed up after he died. And you've showed up again and again and again. And because of that, you've taught me the importance of showing up. And I promise to take that opportunity whenever it comes my way to be a little more like Carrie and her love for her baby Jackson. (laughs) And just just so grateful that you would share this and um the the choices you have made, even inside of the choices you can't control. And I think that's maybe a powerful thing to ponder as we wrap up today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you'll find us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like, a rating and a review. Give us some feedback, maybe stories you'd like to hear, or even better, if you have a personal life experience you're willing to share, please contact us. Everyone listening has a story, I promise you. You've all had to be resilient at some point or other in your life. We would love to hear that, to learn from and with you. You can email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com or find us on Facebook at Relentlessly
0: Resilient or Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody.